Good morning. Good to see you all. Uh, we are in a great series on the book of Philippians. We're walking through it kind of in bite-sized chunks. We're in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I love all Philippians, but this particular one, I think for many of you, could be really helpful to you today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9, and I think this little block could be really significant for you. Uh, Paul, if you remember, wrote this from prison. He had chains on, he was chained to guards, and he said, you know, regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to proclaim the gospel. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to make sure everybody knows, because my joy is found not in my circumstances, but in my relationship with Christ. And so we see that. And so we talk, our theme today is finding peace. Um, life is not perfect, am I right? And finding peace is a challenge, but where you find it is really significant. And Paul is going to show us where we find that amazing peace that we're talking about. Our, our idea today is, you know, I've been talking to you, but reminding you that biblical joy isn't just saying, everything's great. I'm super Everything's fine when we know that that's not always the case. It's an attitude, a choosing to be joyful. Now, God has decided that all the way through this series, He's going to say, are you really being joyful? Last night, um, I went to my daughter's ballet recital, uh, which was, to watch her was pure joy. But the place was overcrowded with people. Um, it's probably a good thing the fire marshal didn't show up because they, w they were standing room only, do the math. And so this, we're seated with my folks and best folks, and we're, you know, we're ready. And so it's theater style seating. And so I'm sitting there and a guy motions down and he says, do you have three next to you? And I said, yeah, I do have three. I, he goes, can we have, them? I said, sure, come on down. So he sits down. You know, I'm thinking this is not, you know, got seats for you and your, your grandson. And, and they sit down and he sits down and he's bigger than me. And he does this. So he pushes my arm right off of the armrest, which is a major violation. <laughs> Am I right? How many of you had that happen to you before? At movie theater, airplane. airplane, and in your car with your wife. <laughs> armrest. So he not only does he do the armrest push, he proceeds then to just go ahead and lay it all out. Spreads his legs out. Now my legs are like this, and I'm leaning forward. <laughs> and my wife looks at me, and she, I said, I'm choosing joy, honey. I'm choosing joy. <laughs> I was like, and I was asking for some serenity, too. Oh, oh, and I forgot to tell you. He had a nervous twitch. Not one, one ounce of his body sat still for more than 20 seconds. And he, and he, and he was constantly doing this. He was... I'm like, please God. I choose joy. I choose joy. But to say that I was, I'm making a joke, but it's true that it almost like, you know, it's just for a little bit. Oh, and it was really hot in there too. So that I paint a good picture. But choosing joy is really a choice. It's beyond circumstances. I got to be with my family and watch my little girl do her thing. Regardless of this, it's like, you know what? We all have that, and so I can't make this steal my joy. And so it is a choice. It's about where we place our focus, and it lives with a gratitude of what's been done for us through Jesus. 
It's a, it's a reminder that regardless of what's going on, it's, I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to, he's going to be my centerpiece, even when it's a little bit like the guy's taking up all my space. And so here we go. So we're in Philippians 4. But before I do, I want to go back and read Philippians 3, 7, 3 through 21, because that sets this table for today. So let me go back and let me read what what Paul said, starting in verse 17. He says, brothers, join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in, you, in us. Many of whom I have told you and now tell you were, with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame with mindsets on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies into the like like of his glorious body by the power that enables him even to the subject of all things himself. So he says, imitate people who are, by and large, getting it right, so that you can look at and go, okay, that's how to handle this season of my life. And so he's saying that right up front. And so you have to know that. So then you get the real important part, the word therefore, because the therefore always says, go back to what was before. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm. And the idea of stand firm is to stick with it. Don't quit. Lisa talked about that last week about the idea of finishing your race. That stick with it. Don't quit. Just keep on going. Keep plowing it. Stand firm. Stick with it in the Lord. Um, in the Lord, my beloved. He says, man, he's... he's let me remind you. He's saying that with chains wrapped around. And he's saying, he's telling those people, don't quit, stand firm. Can you imagine that imagery? And he's telling them, regardless of your circumstances, keep plowing ahead. It works. There's a reason why. And he's like, come on, don't, don't, let, don't let your circumstances steal your joy. It says a couple things there, just kind of notes for me. Keep your eyes on faithful examples. There is something about keeping your eyes on people that go, wow, how are they able to, to be joyful when they're in the latter stages of cancer or when they just lost their spouse or they just lost their job or they've got a wayward child or they've had some unexpected financial issues or health or friendships that fractured or whatever. Man, they're just, how are they doing that? The other thing I'll remind you, and this goes, Paul talked about this too in Romans, citizenship. Your citizenship's in heaven. We've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. Your citizenship ultimately is in heaven. We're on this earth for a little while, but our destination is heaven. That's our final resting place. And, our, and we're, if you keep that in mind that this season of life, even though it may not be fun, it may not be enjoyable, it may be hard, that ultimately when you think about eternity, way better. The greatest strength church, the, great, the, the greatest the great strength of any standing church is the union of the church together, working together. There's something powerful about having people walking alongside you, isn't it? There's something beautiful about having this union with church family, and they're walking with you through whatever it is. And so sometimes for you to say, it's not okay, and allow people in is pretty valuable. It's important. And so he is saying that, and then he, he does this. He says, we need to take a time out. We need to have a pause because there's an issue going on in your church that we need to talk about. Now, let me just help you out here. If you're ever named specifically in the Bible for something you're doing wrong, it's not good. Just help you. Just, just make sure you understand that. He says, I entreat. I mean, I'm pleading with you, Yodia. Now, that name right there, Yodia. How about that? Yodia. And I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. 
Apparently these two young ladies were not in agreement and they were causing disruption in the church. Now Paul, it must have been so significant that he had to call them by name. I mean that's pretty serious when he has to say, ladies, hold on a second. You need to agree in the Lord. You need to do the, the, whatever is doing. Here's what I know. When I was the youth pastor here, uh, the very first summer I was here, we took a, a mission trip out to Colorado. And I had two young ladies um, that about the time we got on the van, and it's a fairly long ride out to Colorado, they, uh, they were not in agreement with each other. They were, uh, they were uh, not happy campers. And so one group of girls, uh, one late girl got a bunch of other girls and other people stirred up about her dislike for her. And this girl got a bunch of people all, all wired up. And so they, by the time we got to the church we were staying in, um, we were a, a warring faction. And uh, this youth pastor was very unhappy. Because we hadn't even started doing Jesus work. We apparently need to do something within our work, in our group. And so I grabbed the two girls because by the time we had gotten unpacked and gotten everybody where they were supposed to be, everybody was upset. They were crying. We were distracted. And I knew that this week of mission trip was going to be a waste if they didn't get it together. So the little church that we were staying, um, they had a, a little chapel, small. And I said, hey, I said, I need to see you and you in, in here. And I don't get angry very often, but or very direct. But man, when I do, I mean business. I don't. I'm not. I'm not mincing words. And so I grabbed the girls and said, "Here, come in here." I said, "Here's the deal. If you guys don't get it together by the time it hits midnight, I will put you both on a bus and I'll send you home, and it will cost your parents the tickets for both of you. You may not like each other. You may not agree with each other. But here's the deal. You will treat each other respectfully. And you will not get people to war against each other. Because we will not be able to accomplish this. I'm going to shut the door. And I'm going to leave. And you get to figure it out. And if you figure it out, you stay. If you don't figure it out, you go home tonight. And that's not a threat. That's a bona fide promise. So I left. And you know what? They figured it out. They did. And you know the funny part about that? They actually became really good friends after that. They figured it out. And so Paul was saying, look, you guys, if I have to call you by name, um, that's never good. And I love what he says. He goes, I agree in the Lord. I mean, you may not agree on everything, but agree on this. And he says, yes, I ask, I, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, those whose names are in the book of life. He says, he says man, this must have been so serious. Like, look, look, we need to come around these because they were, it wasn't like they were immoral or unethical. They were, they were doing God's work, but they were doing it maybe against bumping against preferences. I know this is shocking, but sometimes when you're doing the work of God, you can bump against each other because of preferences. And this is what was happening. And so he calls them out by name. And he says, look, this is real. This is a big deal. When you get a couple of people or people factioning to try to disrupt the church because ultimately they want it. Um, my friend David Mannard told me years ago that churches rarely, rarely fail over moral and theological. They typically fail because of preferences and leadership issues. And I think that's proven to be true more often than not. And he says, there must have had some preferences they didn't agree with. And so they were 
chirping at each other. And then they got everybody else stirred up that my way is the right way, yours is the wrong way, and whatever happened. He says, we were in this together for a reason, and then all of a sudden we got fraction. Let me just tell you, the enemy Satan loves for a church to be chirping about everything but the gospel. Everything. Man, you could be talking about how to do it, and when we should do it, and how it should look, but if you don't ever do it, he's winning. He is. And so I talk about this idea of finding peace. Is agreeing to make much of Jesus is all that really matters. Agreeing to say, we're going to make much about Jesus every Sunday and in our life groups and all the different things that we go on. We want to make much about Jesus. We want to point people that Jesus is the source. Jesus is it for you. And I, I love this. I, I read this and, and rewrote it. A divided church is a terrible witness. Am I right? A divided church is a terrible witness because they see the worst of church life. How many of you have come from a church that split at some point? More than half of you. More than half of you. And so you see the the devastation of that. I've seen churches go through tremendous tension. And here's what I know. For every Corey that will find his way to another church, there's a Brad that is so wounded that won't ever. They, they just, they're not sure they can trust. They're not sure that's worth it. Take your pick. And you see it happen when that happens. And so a church that is divided is a very poor witness. And Paul is saying, help these ladies, guys and gals. We've got to do this together. And y'all need to stop. Y'all need to not do this because it is not going to help the church. It's only going to hinder the church. Matt Chandler spoke to this very thing and he said this. He said, when the people in a church dwell together in the unity of the gospel and together pursue the building up of one another in love, they are providing fertile soil for the roots of deep joy. When we do it together, I know. I'm, I've been doing this a long time. I know that we don't all agree on everything we do, but we can agree that we're going to make much about Jesus and we're going to do it in a way that helps the most hear from God, speak the truth, all that kind of stuff that we do. And so we try to do this in a way that goes, okay, Jesus is the centerpiece of that church, not Danny, not agendas, not whatever. And so I have a question, kind of talking about this idea of deep joy. How do we rejoice in the Lord in the seasons of life that we all face? How do we do this? Because now Paul says, okay, I talked to the gals, get it together, work together. Now let's go back to why I really wanted to write this. Because it's like he had to do that. And, but he needed to because he realized it was a distraction. Go back to verse 3. Chapter, excuse me, chapter 3. He said imitate. He goes, he didn't want those people imitating what some of these ladies were doing. So think about where you find deep joy. And then he goes, now he's like, okay, let me continue my story now. Verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he goes, well, I'm not going to say it once. I need to say it again. Again, I say rejoice. We, we just sang a great hymn called Great is Thy Faithfulness. Do we actually believe that? Or are those just words that we sing? Do we believe that God is faithful? Do we believe that He can? Or do we just sing Him and then go, boy, I hope so. We'll see. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. He says, understand who this God is, who this God wants to be in your life. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. It, and it's funny because he's not saying rejoice if you feel like it. Rejoice uh, when you're in a better mood. Rejoice if, if you've had a good day. He's like rejoice, period. Rejoice. Rejoice because what Paul is trying to tell you consistently is you may not be able to rejoice in your current circumstances of life, but he can, he's just saying you can rejoice because what Christ has done for you. You can't rejoice in that, regardless of everything else. And I noticed a couple things if you're taking some takeaways. Our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. You know, I had that guy sit next to me, and I mean, he was, he was a space taker, and man, he pushed my arm off the armrest. We were about to go to blows. I mean, man, you don't push your guy's arm, arm off the armrest. And he didn't even ask for permission. Circumstances on the outside shouldn't steal from what happens in here. And, in, and for about a half second, I lit it. And then I was like, you know, I got to choose joy. It, I wasn't being sarcastic about it. But it's like, if not, I was going to let it steal my joy. Over what? An armrest? Really? Pretty shallow. Our inner attitude is to, is to do, is to, does not have to do with the outward. Regardless, and I mean, I've met lots of people that their, their, their outward circumstances were horrific. But man, you, there's this inner joy that they were able to talk about and, and engage you with. You're like, I want that. And then Paul is really driving home the point, rejoicing is a choice. It's a choice. You, you can choose to be sour grapes and life is woe is me, but you can, choose to, you can choose to be joyful even if it's hard. And I'm not talking about this cheesy comment. I'm talking about I can find joy in the midst of just about anything if I really look for it. And then he, I like the last part because the end of verse 5 is really important. Or a, a, excuse me, top of verse 4 and bottom of verse 5. The, in the Lord. He goes, where do you find it? He's saying, if you'll rejoice in the Lord, regardless of your circumstances, that's where you'll be able to find true joy. Because circumstances ebb and flow. They change like the wind. And he says, in the Lord is really important. And then at the, the last verse of verse 5, the Lord is at hand. So you get in the Lord and the Lord is at hand. That means that the Lord is actually present in your life. That God is actually with you through your season, whatever it may be. And it's important for us to remember that, that you can find joy and rejoice in Him, but it's the focus, it's where you lean on, and so He does that. Maturing believers know that God's Word is trustworthy. The Lord is at hand. And I did a little dig in that Lord is at hand is it just simply means He's with us. He's actually with you. And so when we sing a song like, Great is Thy Faithfulness, do you actually believe that? Because He's going to get to probably verses 6 and 7 are probably the most verses I give to people on a consistent basis because I can see what they're wrestling through. Look at what it says. Paul says this, Do not, do not be anxious about anything. Anything. You mean anything? I mean anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So you can't, you, guess what? You don't get to choose what you're going to be anxious about. Now, I know some of you have, uh, you're really good. We call it the spin doctor. You're going to change the word anxious to another word. And your word is concerned. I'm just concerned, Danny. Some of you know what I'm saying. So let's take a look. Because there is a legitimate, I'm concerned that you're going to walk across the street without any help. That's different from, 
Here we go. So he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. And he gives you, he says, don't be anxious, but then he actually gives you the prescription. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Complaint and anxiety are the opposites of joy and peace. Complaint and anxieties are the opposite of joy and peace. I love this one. Worry hides behind concern. It likes to hide behind it. We, we want to tell people, oh, I'm just concerned. If we do. There's a difference between what we call alarm and worry. I am alarmed that my blood pressure is that high. I am alarmed that uh, you're breaking the speed limit. I am alarmed that you're going to try to eat all of that in one setting. Uh, you know, go to, there's, okay, but there's a worry that kind of permeates all of us that we, you know, wow, I'm, I'm really concerned about my blood pressure. It's, it's sky high. And, and, uh, and, uh, and you know what happens with that? Let me help you out. You don't sleep as much. Your stomach gets up in knots. You get, you start, how many of you have worried about something so much that you had all, either you woke up thinking about it or you couldn't fall back asleep because of it? There you go. And that's just probably this week. And so those things typically dominate your thinking and you're thinking, okay, I need to solve it. I need to figure it out. And what happens is, is we don't ever go back to God and say, God, I need your peace. I need your strength. I need to refocus on that. So there's a difference between an alarm and a worry. Uh, and I wrote this out because I was thinking about how worry and anxiety kind of get, what they kind of do to our relationship with God. And I wrote this. Worry is subtle, is a, so, is a subtle form of distrust in God that can spiral into God doesn't really care about me. And that leads to anger and resentment. See, when we start to really worry, what ultimately what we're saying is, God, I'm not really sure you got this. I'm, I can sing great is thy faithfulness, but I'm not really sure that you can, you really, you really understand the gravity of this, God. I'm not really sure you understand what, what's going on here, God. <laughs> I wrote this, Matt Chandler wrote this, and I, he said, anxious Christians are bad advertisements for a God of all comfort. Anxious Christians are a bad advertisement for the God of all comfort. Have you ever been around somebody who's so worried and so worried? Man, my Jesus, my peace. But you sure don't act like it. You sure aren't portraying it. You sure don't apparently live it out because you're asking for every breathing body on the place of the planet to pray to God in case he isn't hearing mine. And so we can exude this idea that, oh, I'm, everything's good. But how we portray that, anxious Christians are bad advertisements for the comfort of God. It's like, boy, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do in this situation. Let me just help you out. Let me just help you out on something. There's never, ever going to be a time in your life that God's going to go, gosh, what do we do here? Okay, let me help you. Never going to hear it from him. He's never going to say, oh, my word, what do I do now? He's never, ever going to say that, ever. He's going to say, I either knew it or I've got a plan for it and or both. And let me help you out. Joy is a choice. Let me help you out. I'll give you a new one. Worry is a choice. Curses. <laughs> and I'll give you another one. Worry is not a spiritual gift. Okay. 
Some of you are like, oh my word, I'm in trouble now. Worry is a choice. And I've done it. And I've been good at it. I can write a book on... But when I choose to worry, I'm choosing to worry over something that I don't think God can actually do something about. And so Paul is writing about this. And this isn't a new thing because you know where he starts his originator? Jesus. Sermon on the Mount. Look at what Jesus said. Look at what he said in, verse, in chapter 6. You don't have to go there. I'll go there for you. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on it. Put in it. Is not life more food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and you are more valuable than they? Question mark. And when you see... And and when you by your anxious can add a single hour to your span of life, can you really, by being all worked up and anxious about us, can you really do anything other than give yourself an ulcer? Probably not. And why are you anxious about clothing? And consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrived of one of these. But God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown in the, in, into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, and then he, and then Jesus throws in the, this powerful ver, verse. Oh, you have little faith. You have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious. Jesus' words saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. It's funny because we bring these things to God, and like, God, just in case you didn't know, I want to make you aware of this situation. Uh, And he says, God says, don't be anxious. Bring them to me. And then he goes on, and he says this out of of, uh, final verses, out of Matthew chapter 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to, to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Many of us are like, man, I wish I had 25 hours today, Danny. Boy, that would just, I could just get everything. I could figure this out. And Paul is saying, look, your anxiousness, the things you get worked up about, there's a prescription. Pretty simple pray. Pray. Go back to it. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. He says that in verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. But in everything by prayer. He says, here's your prescription. Pray. Pray, God, I need your wisdom. God, I I need your comfort. God, I need your peace. God, give me the endurance to get through it, whatever it may be. But the prescription is pray. Ask God. Ask God for his, his part in this. Ask him to do what he can do. Clearly, God is aware of your situation. Clearly, God knows what to do. Clearly, God says, will you bring it to me or are you going to just try to solve this on your own? Have you ever had something you were trying to do and you knew you couldn't do it, but you didn't want to ask for help? Some of you men, you're like, yeah, I've, I, yeah, a few times. It, there's something we don't, true or false, we don't like to ask for help. It's true. We don't like to ask for help because 
either what we're subconsciously what we're thinking, well, they just think I'm, I'm incompetent. I can't do this. I, there's, I, I, I'm not able to solve this problem. Or that jarred lid just is too tight. You know, I, and whatever it is, we just, we're not great about asking for help. And so if we're not great about it with this group, then with a holy God that we cannot see, well, God, I, I think I'll just handle this one. And that just typically doesn't go well. Our anxieties go up. Our worry goes up. Our prayer life is all over the place. And Paul is saying, I'm in chains and I know my source. I'm in chains and I know my source. Because here's the, here's the one thing I do know. Is that this can also represent worry in our lives. To the point that it wears us down and we just drag it around. It does. I've seen people carrying worry around. And you, you know, we've heard that term worry ward or whatever. But this becomes a weighted thing on them. So much so that they're always worrying about something. They're worried about their kids. They're worried about their health. They're worried about their finances. And they can spin it and say, I'm just concerned. And let me just tell you, finding the balance in being concerned and worry. Because... If you can't sing, great is thy faithfulness, and go, God, I actually believe that. I actually believe you can do that. R.H. Mounts said this, his worry is practical atheism and affront to God. Because it really is saying, God, you can't, so I better step in. Okay? And I said this just a second ago. Finding peace, if you're keeping notes, the antidote for praying, for worry, is praying. It's saying, God... I want your wisdom. I want your presence. God, I want your comfort, regardless of my circumstances. And you may need to pray that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. We need to do that. Prayer is wonderful worship conversation with God. Because you're saying, God, you can do something about this. And I'm going to put it in your basket. It'd be, it'd be like if this, if this is, if this chain represented all of your worry. And it's funny because if you've ever carried something for a really long time and then all of a sudden you don't have to carry it anymore, isn't it amazing how much more freedom you have? Like I can hold this chain here for a while, but this chain as it sits right now is probably about 10 or 15 pounds. And can you imagine carrying this thing around every day, all the time, letting it drag you down, letting it weight you down. And then God is saying, can you just give it to me? Can you actually let me have everything that you're upset about? All your concerns, all the things that have got you all worked up, all the things that you have all the sleepless nights about. Can you actually hand it to me? And God says, here, just place it in the bucket. Now, I don't know about you, but that's liberating. That's freeing. That, that gives me, that gives me like, whew, I feel like I can move a little bit. And so praying is the antidote to worrying. And, it's not, and let me help you out. The praying part is not a complaining part. God, this is so unfair. Man, I, God, I go to church. I do my thing. And this is what I get. And God's like, praying to God is actually saying, God, I'm going to worship you because you're God. And you want to be the centerpiece of my life. And you want to comfort me and help me get through this. And here's the cool part is when you allow God to do that, there'll be other people that think if they can, I can. If they can, I can. 
See, the reason that God wants us to lean in on him is because it, it, has, this, it has this powerful effect on the church. Like, man, they're going through a hard season. Look at their faith. Look at how they lean in on God when everything is going crazy. And so look at what he says. He says, he says, pray, bring your anxieties and worries to God. And look at what he says in verse 7. He says, and the peace of God what surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. He says, when you bring it to God and you bring it to him, he says, the peace of God, which is way cool. The peace of God is, I love this. I just love that. The peace of God gives you that whatever. Okay, he's got this. If you're taking notes, take this down. True peace is not found in positive thinking, in absence of conflict, or in good feelings. It comes from knowing that God is in control. Because you can say, uh, you know, uh, uh, life is good today, but man, when you're like this, man, God's in control, period, always has been, and it hasn't really changed. And when you think about it, your private, your, your private unguarded moments reveal what your mind dwells on. See, look at back what he says. He says he will guard your hearts and your mind. So whatever, whatever you can spend to us this morning, but whatever consumes all of your thoughts the rest of the day is really where you kind of camp and eventually kind of rears itself um, out of worry, anxiety. Um, you know, I'm just not sleeping as much as I used to. I wonder why. I'm so concerned about this or I'm concerned about them or I'm concerned about this or I'm worried about that. Or, and... Folks, let me just help you out. We shouldn't be surprised that the number of people taking some type of sleep aid on a regular basis. And some of it is, I would believe, is attributed to worry and anxiousness. Things that they can't necessarily solve. And so whatever's consuming your private world eventually comes out. It comes out in, in poor health. It comes out in relationships getting fractured. It comes out in lots of things. And so we see that. And so he says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. He says, so where are you focused? Going back to what we said at the very beginning is really important because look what he says in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, God's word, Whatever is honorable, think about those things. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What Paul is giving you this prescription is like, think about the things of God. Think about the things that God wants to do. I, was, I had talked to a couple people this morning before service. And all of us could have moments going, God, this, my circumstances are not joyful. But then you can have this other side where I was having conversations with people going, I've invited somebody to Easter and they're going to come. You know what? It's funny because perspective kind of balances out the other things when it's crazy in your life. You can find, you can find joy in the things of God if you choose to. Let me just help you out. Joy is a choice. Worry is a choice. God hit me with that this week. And, and so he says, think about the right things. Think about the things that God would think about. Think about the things that, and and let me help you out. The only way you know that is by immersing yourself in God's word and having this relationship with him that regardless of your circumstances, God, I choose to stay connected to you, to pray to you, to talk with you, to walk with you. And I know this, 
to find peace, for us to grow in the likeness of Christ, we have to have a renewed mind. And this goes back to Romans 12 and to Ephesians. Both of those reference the idea that our mind has to be renewed constantly. That today you woke up. Is God, is Jesus great as your faithfulness or is, boy, I just hope everything turns out okay. And see, for us, choosing joy is a choice. Choosing worry is a choice. And when we look at the things that we think about and the things that steal from us, how many of you have lost a whole bunch of sleep just this week because you were worried or anxious about something? Okay, a number of you. How many of you have had it sometime this year? Okay. And it's amazing because when those things start to get on you, man, you're all of a sudden, you're, you, if God were to go back and go, okay, here are the number of hours you've spent worrying this past week. Now, my phone has a new thing on it now. It tells me how long I've been on my phone. How many of you have that? All, most all your technology devices now have a thing that says, you have been on your, your, your phone for whatever, it averages it out. Man, what if God did the same thing about how much you worry and have anxiety and gave it to you at the end of each week? And said, here's how much you've worried and fretted and didn't even bring it to me for this past week. When was the last time you actually said, God, you can, I can't, here. And see, we grow in the likeness of God and trusting Him and knowing who He is when we say, God, it's yours. When we hand Him the bucket of worry, of concern, however you want to spin it, And verse 9, look at what Paul says. He says, I've chosen to think about Christ. I've chosen to focus on Him. And look what he says, finishing up. He says, for what you have learned and have received and have heard and have seen in me, practice these things that the God of peace will be with you. He He says, you've seen me that I am living for God, being chained on either side. My circumstances are horrific, but I have chosen joy. And he says, what you've seen in me, he's not being arrogant. He's saying, what I've chosen, you should do likewise. So it's funny because worry can be a a weighted down thing and just steal from you until you're like, wow. Until you give it back to God and say, okay, I'm done with this thing. And let me just tell you, worry is like the waves at an ocean. They just keep coming back. And you have to eventually say, I am not going to let this hijack my life anymore. I am not going to let this consume me or raise my blood pressure or cause sleepless night or poor eating or fracture my relationships or whatever it may be. Because Paul says, look, what you have learned and have received and heard and seen in me, practice these. Then he says, and the peace of God will be with you. I love that. He says, the, God, the peace of God will be with you. And I love what, what Paul, Jesus said in, in John 14, 27. He says, the peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, I don't give you like the world gives you. The world gives you temporary fixes. The world gives you some peace about this or that. But he goes, my peace is sustaining peace. My peace is actually something you can, you, can, you can hold on to. My peace is a foundational peace. And I will tell you that 
in a room this big, I've got to believe there's a chunk of you out here that worry is hijacking you right now. You're worried about this or worried about our country or worried about uh, your family or your child or your grandchildren or your retirement or your health or take your pick. And it's stealing from you. You're not thinking about the one you want to invite to Easter because you're worried about all these other things. Let me just help you out. They'll still be there. Paul chose to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on my Jesus because of what he did in my life. And regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to do that. So my question to you this morning is, has worry and anxieties just, just have they literally shipwrecked you from what God wanted for your life? Instead of you sailing with Jesus, you're crashed and burned on the reefs of fear and worry and anxiety. And maybe the first step for you is to say, God, I can't, but you can hear God, I give back to you my bucket of worry. I've tried to carry it for far too long. Here, it's yours. Maybe that's what you need to do today. So we're going to pray here in just a moment. This altar is available for you to pray because maybe you just need to say, God, I have, I have allowed worry to do too much in my life. Let's pray. God, I, I can confess that there have been many days where worry has consumed not just seconds and minutes, it's consumed hours and days, weeks. And I I fear, God, that I am not the only one in this room. And we have spun it to words like concerned. And I just ask, God, that hidden behind that is often the, the subtle reality that we're really just anxious about a great many things. And God, your word is so clear. It just says, bring it to you. Do not be anxious. And then you tell us how not to be anxious by bring, by deepening our relationship with you by saying, God, here. And I pray for some in this room over the next few moments that maybe for some in this room, they need to, rel- they need to relinquish their worries and anxieties. They need to surrender their fears that have, have paralyzed them. And it might be right where they stand. It might be come to this altar up here and just say, I'm going to do business with you. There may be some in this room, God, that want to know who this God is that can do such amazing things in our lives. And myself and our staff, Brad, Corey, or Keith, we would love to talk with them about that. There may be some in this room, God, that want to know, how do I make PBC our home? I pray you give them clarity or maybe they've got questions. We want to help them with that. But Father, for the next few moments, God, give us courage to own maybe where we are about certain things related to anxieties and anxiousness and fears that we need to place them back in your lap because great is our faithfulness in you. And I pray that those aren't just our hollow words. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand. Altar is 